Before we get started today, I have a few listeners to thank for donations. I'd like to thank Carolyn House, Nancy Roach, Lisa Jones-Moore, Pat Frost, and Denise Presnell. Thank you so much for answering the call and donating in our time of need. If you would like to donate to the Messy Studio Podcast, just go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and click the yellow Donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate, and there you can set up a single-time donation or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. So that's MessyStudioPodcast.com and click the yellow Donate button. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome Jason Matias to the Messy Studio. Jason is an experienced professional artist, an author, an educator who lives in a loft in the woods outside Seattle, Washington. Following seven years of military service, Jason pursued a bachelor's degree in business and a master's in organizational leadership and began to apply what he learned to his passion for photography. These days, in addition to his creating his own artwork, Jason runs the online teaching platform, The Art of Selling Art, a membership site that teaches business skills, strategies, and practical approaches to the business side of art practice. His aim is to demystify the art world so that artists can sell more art. We're going to find out much more about what he has to offer other artists in today's episode. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome, Jason. This is so exciting. <laughs> so, um, so Jason, why don't you start uh, with telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into photography, and how it evolved into this um, teaching of art business. So, uh, like Ross said, I, I used to be in the military, and I was stationed up in North Pole, Alaska, when I started using a camera again to tell stories and to share stuff with home, but also to, um, to, it's kind of started as like a dare, right? For, for lack of a better term. But as I strive or strived to get better in photography, I realized I need to have more money to do it. It's an expensive hobby, you know? Right. Um, and that was my first, my first sort of um, tangential drive-by on business. But what happened was I got out of the military, I finished my bachelor's degree, I finished my master's degree, both in business and organizational leadership, and which is like a, a MBA plus a psychology degree. And I, I couldn't get a job. I just, I really wow. could not find work. And during my, my time, during my bachelor's and then into my master's, I really took up photography kind of seriously. I started believing what people were telling me that I should be able to sell my work. And I said to myself, well, if I can sell enough art that I can buy a better camera, then I'm doing something right. That was my goal is to, is to get better equipment. And I think that's how a lot of photographers start with trying to sell their work, just to fund the hobby. But when I couldn't get work, when I couldn't use my master's or my military experience, um, I ended up taking what was, I would say, four parts in entrepreneurial spirit and two parts uh, business education and refocusing it on what to do with my art so that I can have nice things. Right. And 
And that's that's how that's how me being a, an artist really began in terms of like professional artists selling art. But as that process went on, uh, I talked about it too much. Like this, I, the entrepreneurial part makes me always want to talk about business with people. Right. So um, every time I'm having a conversation with with some friends who are artists, it always leads to how did you sell this piece? And we would always talk about the business of art whenever I get into a into a room with a lot of people. So um, those conversations turned into one-on-one conversations. They turned into one-on-five conversations. And then it turned into a, a small beta, beta group uh, with 30 or 40 people where I was like, let's see if I really have any value to add. Let's see if I can help 30 people build an art business. And it worked. So it went from there into what is now the art of selling art. Yeah. And when you were, when you were in that transitional period where, you know, you're really just trying to get some better equipment and wondering if this was going to work out, um, were there sort of um, breakthrough points or times when you realized you could sell it, people wanted it and, and it gave you confidence? Mm. Excuse me, I just got to swallow really quick. Yes, there is one um, breakthrough point that I that I think is significant. Um, I, I had early success when I started selling my my photography. Like I could sell these little eight by tens or eighteen by by twenty fours um, for a few hundred dollars. But that was me just taking the cost of the print and timesing it by two, and then walked in away with what money I could. And that was before I understood that I was gonna lose another 20% to taxes and that was going to, um, that the time that I was spending trying to sell this work was also valuable. So if I just doubled the cost of the print, I was actually losing money. But I was getting frustrated with this because I, I was doing this and going to these little street fairs and selling my work and not coming out on top and not understanding why. And I, had done well enough to to get into a larger art expo, uh, well, winter Christmas art fair in Hawaii. And the, the fair was going all right on the first day, but I was looking at this piece behind me and it was the biggest piece I had produced. It was called Eternity Beach. It was, excuse me, I think 48 inches, right? Which for me is where work starts now, but back then that was as big as I ever went. That's a big uh, photo. <laughs> yeah. And and I, and I really just, I, I was starting to have a formulation of the market that I was getting in touch with. And I started to realize that the people who could afford my work would pay me three times as much as I'm asking. And the people who couldn't afford my work at the small price I was asking wouldn't pay me for it if I halved the price. So they were just uh -huh. completely not my target market at all. So I'm sitting in this booth. It's early in the morning. I have this like wall set up and um, I'm just, you know what? I took the tag down and I, and I think I more than doubled the price I was asking for it. So it went from like $600 piece to an $1,800 piece. And I sold it that day. And that really took this idea that was sort of forming in the back of my head about my target market and made it solid. And from then on, it was it, what, what eventually happened is I stopped thinking about my art as art. You know, once I'm done editing a piece, once I'm done planning and photographing and bringing it home and post-production and test printing and all that, it stops becoming a piece of art 
and it becomes a product. And then That's I can look at it. That's a big shift. <laughs> right. It, it, it's, it's actually, you're right. It is, it's a huge leap. But I, I sell a luxury product to an affluent audience. So with those two things defined, I can both market my product and I can define who I want to share my work with. And that changed everything. And the, you know what you just mentioned about changing the price on that piece, there's this psychology, if you will, of people's perception of the price and the work. And oftentimes I talk to artists who are starting out and you know they have really good work, but they will not put a certain price on it. They're always priced way too low, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just said is is really important because there is something that happens when people see um, a legitimately high price on a work that's really good. Um, it increases their perception of the value. Whereas if you had it at $600, people are, are going to pass you off as an amateur. I mean, they're going to say, yeah. oh, who's this guy? You know, and it it's that little, and maybe what you said about that shift of seeing it as a product that people who really value it will pay that much. And will, I think will, that's will such that a hard higher? thing for artists to make that leap in their own self-esteem, really. I see. I know you want to talk about mindset, and, 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 we'll, and I think we'll get to that. But I think that there's an important difference between working within your self-esteem and working within what's right in business. But I really like this point you brought up because it's, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot. Price is marketing. Like would a Rolex buyer see any value in a Mickey Mouse watch priced at $100? They wouldn't, they wouldn't even notice it. Right. Um, and this is something I knew for a long time because of just school and, and understanding marketing. But uh, I didn't really start experiencing until I became more successful as an artist and started collecting art myself, mm. right? When I go to an art fair, I the work priced under $1,000, I don't even notice. You know, it just completely flies by me because it doesn't, because for me, um, I'm looking at work between 1500 and like $5,000. That's my price range for a piece of art because that's where I think that there's like some sort of value. Um, the price and, and the, the sophistication of the art is tied to the price of, of the work. And, um, and I think that even with me at this point, th that must be the same experience for the more sophisticated higher end. Um, I don't like saying higher end because I think that's the wrong way to think about the people, but I think that the people with the higher expendable um, income, I think that they are looking at it the same way. So price is marketing. And um, and that's totally true. So like, if you can take your self esteem and just put it away because it doesn't help anybody, <laughs> right? right? Like what what is a good business practice? The good business practice is my target audience makes between two hundred and five hundred thousand dollars a year. Their expendable income is five percent of that. So we're talking about five thousand dollars, five to ten thousand dollars. So I need to price my artwork for between twenty five and ten thousand dollars for that target buyer so that um, it appeals to them in terms of value and sophistication. Yeah, it seems like a very, like taking a very objective 
point of view about pricing. And that's a big challenge for people. I, I bet you run into that in your courses. Um, mm -hmm. To be able to step back and just do that analysis that you just did um, and say, okay, that, that's kind of the facts, you know, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. objective. If you were making a trinket for the kitchen of somebody, if, so if you were making a little trinket that you, I've always wanted one of these, so I'm just, I'm thinking about it right now, but it's a piece of wood with a hook on it that you use to pull out your, your oven tray. Okay. Back, so you don't have to reach in and grab it yourself with like a towel or something. It's just got a little hook on it. Yeah. Um, but you envision that the person who's buying it has a, 200 square foot kitchen with an island and marble and all of that stuff, uh, you wouldn't price it at $5, right. right? That would be a $15, $20 tool because they're going to continue to use it for a long time, but the person buying it isn't going to go to a $5 store and see value in it. They're going to go to Williams-Sonoma where everything is is sort of has a assumed value and quality and that's where your thing is going to be sitting there priced so you can price your art the same way it is a product until someone it, it's a product it's, it's a piece of art until you're done making it then it's a product until somebody buys it and after that person buys it it becomes a piece of art again because of how they feel about it but the in-between the way the transaction happens it has to happen on the on a level playing field where everybody's coming to 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 do to play the game with the same terms, so yeah, that's very interesting. So when you when you um, teach about this online, is that pretty much how you explain it? I mean, is what what happens when you when you um, when you deal with the people that are learning from you on this topic? Uh, I, I'm not the nicest person in the world, and I don't even pretend <laughs> to be. So um, I, I, Ali, my, my partner is sitting right here and she has this big smile on her face. <laughs> me saying that. We could invite uh, her to weigh in on this. <laughs> she's becoming really good. She's, she started, she listens to me a lot. So she's, she's helped <laughs> us make some money um, on her own too. Uh, but I, uh, I'm very straightforward. So like someone will say, I don't think I should price my work this way. And I'll tell them to stop thinking like that because it doesn't help. That's why I say you can put your you can you can take principles and use the the principles um, of like you said objective values or objective um, data to what what is that word to to offset your self esteem hmm. and and then you don't have to. At, you don't have to make emotional decisions because there's data to prove it, right? Like yeah. this idea that people have 5% dispensable income to spend on a luxury product is not me making it up. Sorry, I'm, I curse sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's not me making stuff up. It's me taking um, the evidence of research. I read that about some luxury products um, research that I found, on, found using Google Scholar. What do people yeah. spend? What do people have to spend? Yeah. Um, so interesting. So, so, so that, aside, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was going to continue rambling. Um, I was going to ask. Aside from these pricing issues that are obviously stumbling block for people, um, can you talk about some other attitudes or beliefs or bad habits or something that that keep artists from starting to sell their work for 
for good prizes. I mean, I think the next step after price is audience. So it's once you have a price for your work and you you know um, who the audience is, or, or maybe it's the other way around. You have to decide who your audience is before you decide what your price is. And I think a lot of artists um, get hung up on price because they think of themselves as their audience. Right? For the longest time, I couldn't afford my own work. Right. Right. So if I am using my myself, my person as a model for who's going to buy my work, then I'm going to get stuck in a in a failure loop because I'm going to be marketing to the wrong people, giving the wrong price to people who can't afford my work. So one of the thing the thing that I see is, you know, people marketing to their friends and people who are like their friends. And if if you are like the five closest people to you in terms of your the, your level of sophistication, your viewpoints on the world, and your economic status, then all of the friends that I would market to can, couldn't afford my work, right? So if you keep pushing in this wrong direction, then you keep resulting up in resulting in failure, and it just gives you this feedback loop, loop that damages your self-esteem, and but more important, ruins your motivation to continue going. So. You, you're, you have art, you have a product, and you have to decide what your audience is so that you can decide what your price is. And uh, one of the bad habits is the artists are choosing the wrong audience for their work. Mm-hmm. Or they're choosing the wrong price point for that audience. So if you choose the high end, if, if you imagine your work going into these sophisticated 20,000 square foot homes, right? But then you price it at what you think you can afford, then they're never going to buy it and, and vice versa. If you price it for the, if you price it for that home owner, but then you market it to people like you, then they're never going to buy it. So um, I think that's one of, one of the, I think the price and the audience is the place where most people fail you, failure, fail. The charge well, back. What about the idea that, you know, in some ways makes sense. If you price things lower for for a certain audience, that's affordable. Um, mm-hmm. Stay in the two or $3,000 range. Um, you will probably sell more volume. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah, totally. That's a, this is one thing I tell the, the crowds too, or, or tell my audience or, or selling art students. Um, Selling $50 posters for a living is a completely valid business model. Completely valid. Like there's no reason that you couldn't do that and be successful as long as you're marketing it to the audience of $50 posters. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I said. If you choose your audience and then you have to choose the price point for your audience, you don't have to be an artist selling $20,000 pieces of art to, you know, to, to the people who can buy them. That's not the only business model that works. You can... Right. You can do $3,000 pieces of work. You can do um, $150 prints, right? Or $150 trinkets or, or whatever it is you build, like little painting squares or, or whatever, as long as you're showing them to the right people. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if you do, uh, if you have artwork from $100 to $1,000, you can go to your local art fairs and sell your work, right? But I can't go to a local art fair and sell $5,000 pieces of art. 
right. I have to choose the ones I go to. But um, so so yeah, price plus plus the audience equals a business. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so are there any other things that you end up having to make a pretty strong point about um, when you're dealing with people learning how to sell their work? <laughs> they have to do their work. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I have 300 and something members of Artist Selling Art, and uh, I probably have an active 40 or 50 people in the community. Mm. Um, and the, the people just don't do the work. They, they don't do, they don't put in the effort. They don't go out and spend any time reading articles or researching the demographics of the places they want to do an art show. Like, like they'll watch, I have a tutorial on, on called the complete guide to art fairs, which, which is where, how I set up art booths and, and how I take information from people and all that stuff. They'll watch that. It's short. It's only like two hours. Right. But then they won't do the part in it where it says, look up the right. of, of this place that you want to do an art fair. And that's, they're setting themselves up for failure. Incredible failure. Because, you know, it, I don't even do local art fairs anymore because it would be not only a waste of time, but a waste of money for me because it's, my audience isn't there. Mm -hmm. So for me to set up a booth, order art from across the country to get shipped to me and do it. But, and, and that's because I know what the demographics are of the areas that I can show locally. Uh, and there's a lot of people who aren't doing that. They're showing up with expensive work in bad demographics or they're showing up with the wrong price work in good demographics. I, it gets me frustrated and I'm not even, you know, I'm sitting right here. Well, it, it, I mean, what you're saying is pretty, pretty simple and basic. I mean, it, it is something... It's very important, but even though it's simple and basic, um, I can imagine so many people having a hard time accepting it, implementing it. Um, what do you think motivates people to take those steps and actually do this? Pain, <laughs> right? Pain is the one modifier, right? One of motiv motivator. It's also one of the principles of selling, right? So people are more likely to move away from pain than they are towards pleasure. So if, um, if you're an artist wanting to make a career out of your art, but you're also sitting comfortably doing whatever it is you're doing, then the amount of effort you put in to doing that is just going to be less. So I think that um, artists really light a fire under their, their butts, you know, like when COVID started or um, when something personal happens and, and they, they really feel like they can or they need to learn something to sell their work. Um, I think that's always the, the biggest motivator. Um, and then I think the community is the second, the second biggest and most sustainable motivator. And, and that's what I really like, and not to pitch artists that I'm not too heavily, but so we have a Facebook group and I go every week I show up. And most coaches or online coaches, they show up once a month, if that. But I know that I have to show up every week to keep people in a community, communicating with each other and motivated to work. You know, it's, it, you said it's really simple. Like this, like this, this thing, this barrier to entry that I'm talking about is not um, something complicated and, and dense. It's, it's really just simply doing the work. Um, 
doing the work, understanding these really simple principles and then applying them. And it's, uh, what, what would you call it? Uh, for, from the 5,000 foot view, from standing here looking in, it's, it's disheartening to be like, I, I push artists, so like some of the, some of the artists in the group, I'm like, uh, to, before I went, before I came to Miami for our Basel, I went to one of my artists' house because I know he's got good work. Like I, I actually like his work, but he's not doing the work to get it out. So I had to sit there and look over his shoulder to get him to get his work minted, to get his work, his website set up to do this thing that would make him money. Then I left and he still didn't do it. He was all set up to do the sale and he wow. just yeah. didn't do it. Wow. And that was, if he, if he did that, I'm 90% sure he would have, this is in the NFT market, he would have sold out his collection and that would have been 30 grand in his pocket. Yeah. Um, and he just, he simply didn't do the work. Yeah. Um, so if somebody, I, I'm kind of thinking about a lot of um, artists that I deal with who are later in life, like there are a lot of people that retire um, and make art. They've wanted to do it all their lives and now is their time. Some of them do want to work, market their work. I mean, um, some don't. Some are just doing it for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually quite serious. I mean, the people that I work with about doing it. Um, do you have any advice for people that only have a short time to do this or is it basically the same uh, kind of strategy. I mean, I, I, mean, I assume yeah, that you work with people of different ages, right? Yeah, there's people like of all ages in you know selling art, um, except the really young ones. I, I don't have very many young, like under 25. Um, at, the same principles apply, right? You still got to do the work no matter how old you are. You're going into the same playing field as they are with me, right? So if you're 65 jumping into the art world, you're jumping in with me, just like you're jumping in with the 30 year old who just got started too. Um, but the biggest hurdle that I, or excuse or objection, I guess the, the proper word would be the biggest objection to doing business that I get from um, older people is that they don't understand technology. Mm. And not understanding technology is the most terrible excuse that they could have for not participating in the world today. I mean, maybe in the, in the 2000s, it would be more applicable because technology was both advanced and hard to figure out. But now everything is so ergonomic, everything is so intuitive that really the, it's just a stubborn mindset that's keeping them. I had a guy, no joke, his name is, well, his name is Dan, um, whose membership just got canceled because he wasn't making payments. So whenever someone cancels or they get automatically pushed out of the system, I, I write to them and I say, hey, Dan, I just saw your membership canceled. Is, is something wrong? Can I help you, right? And his answer was, I just don't understand technology. If I, if I could figure out how to use the internet more then I would be in the show. And, and maybe when I got started, I would have had time to be like, this is how you send an email, right? Like I, I could have done that, but I don't have time for that anymore. So I can't handhold like that. So I'm like, I'm sorry to hear that, Dan. This is a terrible excuse to not work on your business. Like I'm, I'm very straightforward. And uh, when you figure out 
he, he was writing me on Facebook, so we've got 80% of it done, right? Well, mm -hmm. when you figure this out, you can come back to your setting and pick up payments where you left off. But I get that a lot. Yeah. A lot. And uh, and I think it's it's really it's really very um, disappointing because it's such a low hurdle, such a low it's, hurdle. Yeah, it's a mindset, isn't it? I mean, it's it's about I can't do this. I'm too old. It's too easy to fall into that. And you know, if you if you take it a step at a time and you get somebody to help you, maybe a younger person. I, I don't think there's much that couldn't be learned in a fairly easy way. Um, I mean, I've experienced it myself with various <laughs> online situations and it can mm -hmm. seem pretty daunting. It can mm -hmm. seem like everybody younger than you kind of gets it, you know, but. <laughs> I, I get into stuff it. and I'm like, wow, this is so hard. It, it, like, I don't understand it because it, it's, uh, it's uh, new, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's the learning curve for anybody. Like the, the playing field is flat. If you're 70 years old and you jump into this art and you're trying to figure out an online marketplace, the guy who's 30 years old jumping in to try to figure out that same marketplace is faced with the same problem. We both have the same brains. There's nothing, you know. So I have succumbed to this idea or this objection or hurdle myself, and it's held me back for like a day or two. But the difference is I, I figure it out. Like I keep pushing. I don't say this is for the new kids or I don't, you know, I don't say this is for other people. This is for me because I want it. What's really cool about the new NFT market. I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, but the new communities that are developing around online digital art is that uh, we do this thing where we, we have spaces on Twitter. Have you heard of this? I I'm learning about NFTs. <laughs> In fact, yeah. we're going to have a guest on next month about this topic. But yeah, I'm open to, to knowing about it. Yeah, yeah. So, th so this isn't specifically about NFTs, but uh, NFTs are, were the biggest part of my 2021 in terms of income and, and community building and all that. But, wow. but my point here is that um, we do these, these things, so they're like a cross between a live, a, a live podcast and a radio show called Spaces, and uh, where you can talk to hundreds of people in group forums through Twitter live audio, hmm. uh, no video. So I can't tell how old some of these people are. And it always surprises me to find out, like I'm thinking they're my age because that's how the brain works. We just assume people are like us. So I'm always thinking that, but then I find out that the 50, 60 year old jumping into crypto or jumping into crypto and NFTs as collectors and creators. And then I'm like, oh, wow. Like I, I like this art. And I just found out that it's by an 85 year old dude. Right. Or, yeah. or a couple, an older couple doing this generative project or doing this digital art. And I'm just like, that's awesome. But I didn't yeah. know. So like the idea that the age is impactful on the type of art and the audience that they could develop, it doesn't exist. Right? Yeah. And I, one thing I've noticed um, doing, I've done various artist residencies and things where I'm together with a group of artists. And one of the wonderful things about it is that, age, the typical age interaction barriers that we find kind of in everyday life, they aren't there. And so if you're all artists, you get it, you know, and mm -hmm. I love that to, to be able to go and, and work my work around in the same space as people who are, who are much younger. 
um, sometimes much older. And it's, it's just so, it's like it dissolves that barrier. And um, I, I don't see why it didn't apply to marketing as well. I mean, it's, it is a mindset and yeah. artists, it, it unites people, it unites communities of artists. Yeah. I wonder if in we have just a few minutes left in this uh, episode. I wonder if you could go right ahead and self-promote about <laughs> your your website, uh, the um, the art of selling art, and tell us what it's about, how people could join, what they would get out of it, and things like that. So, art of selling art. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that there's there's not another art business education platform like it because. Uh, it's it's a community-driven forum that is filled with a la carte education. So it, it's based on my own career. So I go through and let's say I want to know how to use Pinterest to promote my business. So I'll go and freaking learn Pinterest, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's actually been on my mind to do this, right? But um, so so this is what I did. I went and I spent five, six months figuring out Pinterest until it worked. And I mm-hmm. went from... 6,000 monthly views to half a million monthly views on my Pinterest, which which drives traffic to my website. Uh, and then I will create the lesson on how I did that, right? Or yeah. going back even further, like how do I do an art show and how did I make that successful? Then I'll create the module for other people to do it the same way I did. So it's all this education based on boots on the ground work. And then on top of that, so that's layer one. On layer two is the coaching and the community where we can we have weekly calls and weekly chats about what's going on in art businesses. So every Wednesday morning, I will say, we call them roundtables. Roundtable today at 2 p.m. What are, what are your woes is what I'll write. And people will leave their comments and their questions and then we'll just jump on just like this. It's a video Zoom chat. And we'll go through all of their comments and questions on um, – uh, for whatever hurdles people are trying to to get over at that moment, and I think that that like I said, like that that group community that's constant and constantly working keeps people motivated to keep going. So, um, artist selling art, I think at the time of this recording right now is a lifetime membership. So once you once you pay for it, you're in it for life. And I'm always creating new content. Like there's a new module for NFTs, and I keep adding to that education as I get better at it and as I understand more. Um, so lifetime access to all of that and the community and the group coaching calls. So uh, I think what's different about it is as I'm a I'm still doing my art. Like you find a lot of coaching where the people are just coaches, right? But I, I've, you know, I, I just did Art Basel. I'm doing this road trip and I'm selling stuff on NFTs and, and I'm constantly doing all this stuff. So you're working with me. You're not just learning from these marketing principles applied to, um, applied to an art business. Right. So I think it's, it's somewhat unusual to be able to provide the kind of content as at the same time you're, you're making it as an artist. You're making you're making your work. Um, I, I agree. I mean, a lot of a lot of what's out there are people that that mainly are. They may have had experience in the past, but they're not necessarily involved heavily in their own work now. And yeah. and to have that real connection is that's very strong. I think it for me it this. I think I, I needed to stay. I need to be. 
I need to feel like I, I deserve to be teaching. So if I'm not doing well in art, then I don't feel like I can, I should be a teacher teaching art. You know, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, so I, I'm really highly focused on my art business. And, um, and that's, that's what I'm bringing to the table. So, so people know, you know, like I'm in our Basel. I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm busy. Right. So we're, we're not having a round table today because I'm doing the biggest art show in the country. Right. But, but they know that I'm a real working artist and that I'm going to bring whatever I learned back to them um, or whatever experiences I had. And, yeah. and I think that's what makes it different. Right. Yeah. Um, it makes you very, very reputable, very, you know, can't doubt it. <laughs> it's like you, you're proving it, you're doing it all the time. So that's fantastic. Um, I think we, we want to tell people, uh, because we're doing this as both video and audio, um, so your website, www.jasonmatias.com, and that's um, M-A-T-I-A-S is your last name. And then on that website, there's a tab at the top that will take you to this um, business uh, platform. There, that there's a blue bar at the top of the website that says, if you're an artist and looking for the artist selling art, go here. And I do that for a reason, right? I can make another website for artist selling art, but I want it to be obvious that my art career is really the priority for me. So everything is housed inside artist selling art. And that helps artists too, because they can go to my website and see how to make a website, right? Like this, these are the principles, like one of the modules is how to build a website. And it doesn't teach you how to drag and drop photos. It teaches you the principles of marketing that go into developing a website for the customer Right? Not for the artist, but for the customer. Anyway, so um, so yeah, there's a blue bar, blue bar at the top that says, you click on that and that'll take you to the artist selling art. Good. And the other thing um, to mention in this episode is, is the next episode to follow this, we're going to talk about Jason's art <laughs> because <laughs> obviously it's a huge part of what he does and he does this really, really stunning photography. So um, I think that's about it for now. So thank you so much, Jason. This has really been interesting. And I I, uh, I think you offered uh, a lot of good ideas, especially about the pricing. The pricing and the audience um, formula is, you know, it's, it's very direct and good. I appreciate you guys having me on here. For real. All right. That just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.